Let's sing and swing. Visit with Mrs. Franklin D. Roosevelt. Two o'clock on Thursday afternoon in Manila. And now we bring you Forbidden Diary, the true World War II story of Natalie Crowder, based on her secret journal written from a Japanese prison camp in the Philippines. Episode 9, Home Sweet Homes. Previously on Forbidden Diary. Over 450 Chinese arrived from Baguio. Their barracks are separated from ours by a wire fence. Oh, got a worse one for you, Jerry. Camp Liaison. <laughs> or cook. Ask Alex. The Russian chef who works at the Pines Hotel? Yep. And now he's got us ingrates for customers. The missionary men in camp were taken into town five at a time for interrogation by the Kempeitai. Three have not returned. I heard the Kempeitai do all of their torturing inside the cold store. Millie, you're scaring the children. In big black and red letters, it read, News, Singapore fell on February 15. And now, Episode 9. March 22, 1942. After Singapore fell to the Japanese, a sort of ennui settled into camp to the point where some now speculate whether it's Saturday or Sunday, because every day is alike. One lady is very depressed, says nothing will be done about the Philippines and that we will be left for the duration until conclusions are reached in other places more important. Since we do not know and can take our choice, it is preferable to enjoy continuous analysis, debating how long it will be. There are many schools of MacArthur's strategy. We optimists say, any day now, each morning, and do not feel worse when many days pass in saying this. There is always a bit of news that filters into camp. A new baby. People going to another internment camp. Someone sick or coming home from the hospital, a new flag raised, change of guard, or sports tournaments that we're allowed to play. The Japanese high command cannot keep these little items of living from us, and we can still hear the drone of planes that might be ours and feel a glorious day. Still, captivity wears harder on some than others. Intellectuals and ministers find this life hard. They're not used to washing floors and working with their hands. Brains and minds are not wanted in here, except to receive propaganda. Practical people adjust the best. But it is hard on the older kids, who miss their old life. June weeps often from homesickness. She looked wistful and sad the other day, sitting by herself, looking into the distance. When I put my arm on her shoulder, she broke and cried without warning. Homesick again. When are we going home, Mommy? <sighs> it might be tomorrow, June. But when it isn't, then I'm so disappointed. 
Beatty cries on my lap, and I console him as well, but I don't always feel as sure as I speak. No one can know, unless he's been in it, what it's like to live in a vacuum of no news, no messages, and no reliable information, except what is poured out for the dull mind to depress the spirit, until everything becomes automatic, as though one were a robot or five years old. We can eat, wash, carry garbage, and live on charity, but we must not think with our own minds. March 28, 1942. The funeral for Sally's premature baby took place this morning. The men made the casket, and the women lined it with satin taken from pieces of a slip. The baby was covered with a blanket knitted by his mother. Twelve people were allowed to carry the casket the two miles to the cemetery on Balatok Road. The death of a first son is a tragedy in the eyes of the Japanese. Nakamura personally picked flowers from the garden, and Lieutenant Mukibo sent a wreath. Nakamura is an interesting character to watch. He tramps about with his lists, checking out the barracks, marketing, ordering, and somehow keeping a fragmentary sense of humor. He has a husky build and plunks down his shiny boots in a sturdy, upright manner. There's something forthright about him. A directness which is American rather than Japanese. He can be as nasty as anyone at times. He's done a fine job of humiliating his former bosses with the role reversal, but I don't envy him acting as a buffer between us and his superiors, who seem to pester him daily with bureaucratic inquiries and requests. April 1st, 1942 we now know why Nakamura's been pacing around for weeks with his ham-sized hands, checking off lists. A camp inspection. Today, bowls of flowers were placed everywhere for the occasion. <laughs> oh, he's very proud of his camp organization and was ready to show himself off. But the inspection soon turned anticlimactic for him. Ha <laughs> ha! Well, that sure was a hoot, wasn't it? All that apple polishing for nothing. How long did it last? What, half an hour, tops? Yeah, and high command sense a flunky. Did you see how Nakamura shadowed him the whole time? <laughs> and he practically tripped over him. And all the guy does is inspect the barracks section, line up the guards for a salute, and drive off. In my car. Oh, <laughs> was that your car, Jerry? Yeah. That was my Lincoln Zephyr he drove off in. Only now, it's got a Japanese license and a star on the front. I miss that car. <laughs> April 3rd, 1942. In our small hospital, a baby boy weighing seven pounds came into a war-torn world at 5.40 a.m. His missionary father is one of the three men still jailed in Baguio, and his mother is in a concentration camp. A half hour after the delivery, in the Chinese barracks, a woman in breech birth had a daughter not telling anyone she was in labor. 
The Japanese took 7,000 pesos from what remains in our private safety deposit boxes to feed us and the Chinese prisoners for a month. Before this, only the bank's own funds were taken. Well, perhaps my jade and opals are still there after I thought them taken three months ago. It's better to think that all is gone once the mind has adjusted to it. Then, if something is left, it's like new. April 10th, 1942. I woke last night to the sound of hammering and wondered who had the temerity. By 6.30 a.m., word got around about a wrapping paper sign with grand lettering tacked to a tree. It says, The tan fell. Finally, with unconditional surrender on April 9 at 7 p.m. Now, let us realize the Orient for the Orientals. The news crushed our spirits. If Nakamura wasn't full of enough beans, he sure is now. He lectured a young girl on garden duty today about the uselessness of American women. Why do you wear pants? Gee, I don't know, Mr. Nakamura. Everyone wears them. You should wear a dress. Only field hands wear pants. You're a disgrace yourself. But I don't have anything else to wear. American women spend too much time putting paint on their face, and playing cards, and not enough time with their babies. No woman should be without her children. Yes, Mr. Why do American women leave their baby on the bed, or with another person? I don't know, sir. I don't have a baby. No woman should enjoy herself without her children. Yes, Mr. Nakamura. And why do you buy milk? A woman is no good if she doesn't feed her baby. You white women are organizers who put paint on your faces and get others to do your work. And that's what Mr. Nakamura told me, Mom. Don't listen to him, dear. All I can say is he has some nerve. <laughs> Pass me my eyebrow pencil, will you, Doris? Well, now I know why one of the guards keeps taking little Donald away from his babysitter and giving him back to me. Carl said that when he was washing his clothes, a guard pointed to them and said, Japanese woman. So much for women's suffrage. Guess they almost think that way. That's because they're a bunch of dumb peasants who make their wives take their children into the fields. Nakamura isn't a peasant. I think he is. Well, he's lived in an American commonwealth long enough to know better. He also said that Americans are wasteful because we don't eat the vegetable tops and the things that the Chinese and Japanese eat. That's because we're not used to it. Well, we'll have to get used to it or starve. I think that we've learned to eat a lot of new things here. We're experiencing growth, like the rings on a tree. All right, who took my eyelash curler? It is interesting to hear oneself criticized as a nation compared with a feudalistic setup. Their women do the work, all right, 
but there is no equality there. Nakamura may have a point, however. It is absurd how many are trying to live as though they were still at home, with satin nightgowns, hair curlers, cold cream, and eyelash brushing every morning. It seems very out of place, and in poor taste, if not vapid. I, for one, cannot keep on looking like the Queen of Sheba while emptying garbage. April 14, 1942. Since the fall of Bataan, the Japanese are less stringent. They've let a group of Seventh-day Adventists return to their homes in Manila. And shortly after the Adventists' departure, a truck drove into camp with Roland and Herb, two of the three missionaries taken nearly three months ago. After a short visit allowed with his wife and new baby, Roland, in a show of defiance, joined a volleyball game between the Miners' Groundhogs team and the Missionaries' Devil Chasers. Even with our diminished energy, sports still thrive here. Jerry and Jim talked with Herb while Roland played volleyball. Ooh. What's the score, Jim? 7-4. Looks like God's on the side of the Devil Chasers. And you and Roland by the looks of you two. You guys don't look so bad, you know, considering. Yeah, thanks to murderers and thieves. <laughs> if they hadn't shared their chow, we wouldn't have made it, Jerry. So I take it that the Japanese serve the two-and-two two menu? Jim means two cups of water and two cups of rice a day. If we were lucky. Worked the same way as here. Everyone got food from the outside. Did you hear any real news about the war? I hate to tell you, Jim, but from what we heard, we've lost the Philippines. <sighs> any news about Rufus? The Filipinos think he died from being tortured the day he was taken in. Oh, no. Yeah. 26. And a new father. But it's still speculation. Only the Japanese know for sure what happened. We're not going to say anything about it to his wife until we know for sure. No, of course not. April 20, 1942. For the past few days, Isabel has been all upset over the rumor that Japanese officers are considering moving us to Camp Holmes. Jerry said that they'd been up to Trinidad Valley to inspect it, and we might as well start packing. The rumor was finally confirmed when Nakamura told the garden workers to pick all the vegetables because we would be moving day after tomorrow. The news traveled with the fury of a storm. Knots of people gathered, chattering in a terrific clamor. Babies, taking on the nervous atmosphere, cried as in the early days. The enemy has turned our world upside down again. April 21st, 1942. Our men left early on the bus to clean up Camp Holmes in preparation for the move. They say that the new barracks were built for Filipino soldiers, but we really don't know what it's like except that it has a glorious view. Nice garden, yard for the children, tennis court, and baseball diamond. 
Whenever we become too settled or comfortable, we are jolted out of it by the old technique. This time, we are a little harder to terrorize and beat down. Everyone is busy repacking, moving stuff from paper bags to suitcases and duffel bags. Amidst the activities, Jim finished the last edition of the Camp Hay News. Camp Holmes has three main barracks, two of them regular army cadre buildings two stories high. Upstairs are sleeping quarters, while downstairs are kitchen, mess, and smaller rooms. The sleeping space is 29.5 by 138 feet, including a room at the south end. Already a number of double-deck bunks have been fitted into spaces. It will be crowded, but the buildings are new and consequently dry. The men will sleep in a one-story barracks with front porch and separate mess room. Today was spent in a continuous round of cleaning out dust, dirt, and debris. Washing down floors, moving in double bunks, moving out surplus furniture, getting water running, and surveying the general situation. Each crew, American and Chinese, went to work with a will. Chef Alex got the chance to survey the kitchen and his new cooking apparatus, a Filipino-style tile and concrete oven with two huge cauldrons atop the fire. Arthur, what is this thing? It's a bit different than the one at Camp A. No kidding, Arthur. This is going worse from bad. How I'm going to cook for 500 people? What? What is this thing? It's a pulley. For what? Uh, <laughs> the cauldron covers? О, май гад. Сначала это дровяная печь, а теперь это штуковина. И ты, ты что, хочешь, чтобы я на этом готовил еду для 500 человек? Do I look like Filipino chef to you? April 23rd, 1942. Camp Holmes. The trucks came so thick and fast this morning that it took only five hours to move 800 of us, Americans and Chinese, to Camp Holmes, where we will still be living separately. The barbed wire was cut, and we walked right out of Camp Hay as Japanese soldiers moved in. There was such a hurry getting people onto the trucks that I didn't realize that I was out in the world when our caravan drove out the back gate. The men rode in separate trucks from women and children. Because Beatty turned 11, he will be graduating to living on the men's side, and went with Jerry. Daddy, why aren't there any cars on the road? I don't know, Beatty. See over there? The Igorots are still pushing their carts on the road. Daddy, Daddy, they're waving at us! Well, wave back at them. Guess we're giving them a surprise, aren't we? We sure are. Think they'll take us through Baguio? They have to, Jim. How else are they going to get us up to Camp Holmes in these trucks? Daddy, we're back in Baguio. <laughs> good to be here, isn't it, son? Yeah. It's good to be anywhere than Camp Hay. Wow, Session Street's sure boarded up. 
Will you look at all those people lining the street? Do you think we'll see Nita and Ismail, Daddy? Keep your eyes peeled. Why is everyone so quiet? The Japanese don't want the Filipinos to show that they side with us. Just that they've come to see us means a lot, Beatty. It might be very risky for them. Daddy, look! They're giving us the victory sign! Don't point, son. We don't want to get anyone in trouble. Did you see the Crowthers? Ismael? No, it was crazy downtown. I saw a lot of other Americans we know, but there were a lot of Japanese there. Oh. The market was crowded when the trucks came through Session Street. I thought people would stay away. No, everyone wanted to cheer the Americans and Chinese, but... I know, too dangerous. I think they got the message. Everyone lined the streets and smiled when they couldn't wave. Some of us gave them victory signs. I miss them all. How did they look? Really happy to see us. People were crying. I would have cried too. Did you find out where they're going? Everyone says camp homes. Oh, that's not so far. I wonder if they'll keep going to the market every day. They still have to eat, so probably. I think that the next package we send should have some clothes. They probably couldn't take much with them. Maybe I should make some empanadas. We arrived at Camp Holmes to see a landscape littered with pictures and frames, letters and other possessions all over the yard, showing a quick departure of Filipino soldiers and looting afterward by locals and Japanese soldiers. The gardens are dry, full of weeds, covered with filing papers, brown piles of pine, and file cabinets and drawers strewn about. Several iron safes were blown open. It is so desolate, this destruction. But the view up the high mountain range and down to the China Sea is spectacular. And there is plenty of space outdoors for us to wander about by the hospital building and by the groves overlooking the road. It is a welcome change outdoors, with space for the children to run and play. June and the others found precious typing paper on the field. I even looted a good typewriter ribbon on the dry, hot parade ground. It was unwound, so I rolled it up to stow away. Almost immediately, mothers and their babies moved into one of the cottages, but Lieutenant Mukibo, who is always in evidence in a crisis, said they could not live there, so the group all piled out, worn and threadbare, babies crying. News somehow filtered into camp about U.S. victories in Timor, New Guinea, and New Britain. Bataan may have fallen, but Corregidor is still fighting. April 24, 1942. Jerry's garbage detail went back to Camp John Hay to find their wagon and pulled it back to Camp Holmes on foot. The crew rolled into camp with a grinning soldier riding on top. Jerry said that 300 Japanese had already moved into Camp Hay, with 5,000 more arriving. Until we know how much water is available, strict water usage rules have been in place since we arrived. 
For laundry and bathing, we use gasoline tins cut down with wooden bindings and handles at the top. But our tropic-style barracks built for Filipino trainees are much pleasanter than the buildings at Camp Hay. They have sliding shell-paned windows, and our bunks aren't bad, except that bedbugs appeared this morning, and there's no gasoline or powder to kill them. As in the first days of Camp Hay, two meals are served daily. The men do all the cooking, serving, and waiting on us. April 29, 1942. My pride over how well everyone has adjusted to our new camp was short-lived. Violent quarrels raged back and forth about barracks space, often over a matter of inches. Similar to Camp Hay, a 36-inch wide space is allowed for each of us to sleep and stow belongings, or at least nearly all of us. For the group of people we call the pampered, special privileges came with them from Camp Hay. Everyone is making cracks about them. I cannot believe Nakamura hasn't moved Arthur to the men's barracks. You mean he and his family still have their own room? Yes! Well, how nice for them. Did you see? The pampered wasted no time staking their claim to the room with all the windows. What gives them the right? And it's got real beds! There's even a sitting room. I heard that the room's reserved for someone working at the hospital. Give me a break. She'll never come back here. Who'll never come back? A member of the pampered set. Oh, them. Did you see them at second meal eating rhubarb in their little alley while we're stuck with clear soup and corn cold mush? When I see them spreading ketchup on cocktail sausages, I could just kill them. Hey, everyone. Did y'all hear the boys found a wood stove for us? They're going to set it up right outside the women's barracks. Just for us. Ooh, I think I'm going to make some fudge. Take a number, because I'm going to roast peanuts for my kids. I bet the pampered will be frying eggs every morning. Oh, Doris, will y'all just give it a rest? I hear that the pampered have taken occupancy over at the men's barracks as well. Didn't waste much time separating the sexes, did they? Except Arthur. Is he still bunking in with the women? Yep, got a room for himself and his family. <laughs> How does he rate? Hey, he's buddies with Nakamura. Well, that explains it. Yeah, that's what I heard, Jerry. American and Filipino troops captured in Bataan had to walk barefoot to San Fernando without water or food. In that hot sun over there? Japanese are claiming 50,000 prisoners. Wow, there's going to be payback for that. Any other news, Jim? That's all from underground for now. Boy, people sure set up shop fast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's a group who leaves messages under a stone. Someone even handed a note over the fence. He gave it to the wife of one of the miners. <laughs> she dressed like an old Igorot woman. He even had a basket strapped across her forehead. Man, the guards are everywhere. Must be frustrated Romeos. Yeah, they're always on the prowl. Yeah, one of them's a good egg. He got me trying to see my wife the other day. When I told him I'm married, he said... I don't care you visit the wife. Nakamura say no, but I don't help. May 4, 1942. 
Beatty has been living with the men since we arrived, and I'm not happy about the hazing going on over there. The men won't do anything, say the boys must learn to take it. So the bullying continues. I told Jerry, this is what the Japanese are doing to helpless people in a bigger way, and reminded him of the news we've been hearing about Japan's treatment of American and Filipino soldiers. His counter was to say that he's had more opportunities for father-son talks. BD, you're going to have to do better with your chores. I know. Everyone in our family contributes work to the camp. If you don't do your share, you'll be looked on as one of those boys who ate extra and did nothing to earn it. You don't want that to happen, do you? No. Your jobs are to work every other day in the garden and help shell peanuts in between. I like gardening. Well, that's good, son. May 5, 1942. Horrible, horrible morning. A Chinese man was reported missing before roll call by his own people. The guards quickly brought him back and began to torture him. A demonstration of how nice the Orient for Orientals can be. From all over camp, we watched him. Slapped, knocked down, kicked, stepped on. Hands tied at last and bound to a tree where water was poured over him. An hour later, the guards untied him and he fell. Then they, they pulled him up by his tied hands and repeated the process, beating him with sticks and the butt of a gun. All the guards took a turn at it. Whenever he passed out, a bucket of water was doused all over him again. He's still there, an example to the rest of us. Rage was in my heart and on my crimson face. Even the little mustached guard, who we like, took his turn with the rest at knocking down and kicking him with hobnail boots. Our men say the man is crazy. Someone reported that he suffers from dementia. In here, he's almost normal and did what we all want to do, walk out the gate. The whole world is crazy, symbolized in that poor figure sitting on the ground, soaking wet, covered with mud, and stepped on. May 7, 1942. The staccato voice on Tokyo Radio, which depresses us and eats into us like acid, reported that Manila and Corregidor fell after 72 hours of pounding from land, sea, and air. Corregidor, the rock in Manila Harbor. The impregnable. It was supposed to last a year, with supplies for even longer. And all of the bank funds moved to there. One or two people have actually gone to the hospital because of emotional nosedives over Corregidor. It's best to keep busy. And our jobs help. On his garbage route, Jerry chatted with the very pregnant Dr. Lee at the camp's hospital. She has more reason than most to be upset about Corregidor. 
garbage man. Got any donations for me today, Dr. Lee? Yes, over there. How you doing? Oh, okay, I suppose. Natalie says that the last month's a killer. No kidding. Any word about your husband, the Major? No. I hear that Lieutenant Makibo has been pressing you to write a letter asking him to surrender. Is it true you refused? Yes, I told them. A letter from me wouldn't do any good. My husband will do what he's going to do, regardless of what I have to say. You know, Jerry, the heck of it all is, he'd been given a medical discharge before the war broke out. We were all scheduled to go home to the States last December. Well, how about them apples? Yes, how about them apples? There's another trash can over there. Have you and your family been taking the yeast tablets? Twice a day. Natalie swears by them. Well, keep taking them. They're full of vitamin B. Infections from cuts and scratches are increasing because poor nutrition has lowered everyone's resistance. My kids haven't had milk since February. We've got a real problem with vitamin B deficiencies. If we keep up this diet of unpolished rice, no citrus, milk, or eggs, we're going to be hit hard by the next wave of dysentery. Jeez, that's scary. And the irony is we're living in the vegetable center of Baguio with an agricultural school down the road and citrus groves right next to us, for heaven's sake. Maybe the committee can sweet-talk Nakamura into letting the woodcutters pick fruit. It'd make a huge difference. Otherwise, we're going to start seeing cases of beriberi, scurvy, and pellagra. May 9, 1942. The brown intelligence car, full of officers whom we call swords, came to question civic leader Liang Nang about the Chinese who are hiding in the hills and anxious to hand themselves in. The rumor is they are worn out and suffering from many skin diseases due to malnutrition. Evidently, there are about 200 of them, though one rumor claims a thousand. 500 Americans are said to be scattered in the hills. A package from Miss Ramos, Jerry's Filipina secretary, arrived with bananas, pineapple, and two loaves of white rice bread. It was a lighthouse in a storm, along with a few incidents, like the one the other day, that gave us a laugh. A guard, practicing driving on the parade ground, drove off too quickly and into the rising sun flagpole, (laughs) bending it half over. An audible chuckle, almost a cheer, rose up from our side of the camp at the lowered sun, drooping at the end of a 90-degree flagpole. (laughs) We hope that it is an omen. This concludes Episode 9. Be sure to tune in for the next episode of Forbidden Diary, the true World War II story of Natalie Crowder, based on her secret journal written from a Japanese prison camp in the Philippines. <laughs>